Hi, all. Thanks so much for joining Speaking of Making Healthcare Work for You, Different Perspectives and Empowering Solutions. I'm Stephanie Fields, joined by my co-host, Dr. Apoorv Gupta, and today we welcome Shandon Fowler, who is the founder of 48 Insights. And Shandon has an incredible experience, wealth of experience about the ACA marketplaces, and he's going to talk to us today about basically all things related to the ACA marketplace, what it's like you know, what the enrollment, what we can look forward to with the first Biden OE, what we experienced with the special enrollment periods over the last year dealing with COVID, how this might impact employer plans. So we have so much to talk about. Thanks so much for being here, Shan. Thank you so much. It's great to uh, be here. I really appreciate the, the invitation. I'm so excited to talk about this because it's stuff that everybody needs to know about, whether they realize they do or not. So why don't you tell us what are some of the most important things that people need to know right now? Uh, I think the first and foremost is that uh, uh, open enrollment starts on October 1st. Um, That's open enrollment for the ACA marketplaces. Um, It's actually going to, uh, over the past couple of years, it's uh, uh, run through December 15th, I think that, and then there are certain states um, that run it longer than that. Um, but in order to be eligible for coverage on January 1st, um, it's it's good to be enrolled in a plan by December 15th. Now, I think that the Biden administration has actually extended it for um, for this year. You told us a number of, in the pre-interview that there were 12 million people who have gone through this already. Is that the special enrollment? That's well, actually, the special enrollment was 2 million people. So this year, uh, a lot of the year was a special enrollment period. And there were a number of reasons for that. The first and foremost was because of COVID and the pandemic and people um, uh, losing their coverage by, you know, losing their jobs, essentially. Uh, and, and so 2 million people, which is a, a huge number for a special enrollment, um, have been able to get coverage through the marketplaces, both state-based exchanges and healthcare.gov and, and the sort of third-party marketplaces that provide that as well. I think that in addition to that, one, one key that is, or two keys that are really interesting about that are the first is that um, if you've been unemployed uh, even for a month during the, or I believe even for a week during the, um, the year of 2021, you can essentially enroll in what's called a silver plan and uh, get it free of charge. Um, they, the, the subsidy that is provided through the ACA uh, gets you um, a silver plan for you know, essentially no money. Uh, so there are a lot of people that started in July, um, or I believe it, was, uh, it became eligible uh, back in the spring, but that people could start enrolling in that and getting that um, uh, subsidy in July. And if How you do they know have, about that, well, um, various methods. I think mostly uh, you have to kind of be looking out for it. Some t- some employers, if they are you know laying you off or letting you go, they might tell you about the public exchanges and the availability of that. Doesn't happen a lot. Um, but the good news on that is that if you were unemployed and then you ended up getting, you know, coverage and you didn't know about it, um, it's a subsidy um, and it'll uh, you'll get a refund at tax time. So, you know, that's nice as well. Um, so and then the other thing is that the, the last year's open enrollment was actually five percent larger than the year before, which was a lot larger than the year before that. So um, the the public exchanges uh, and it, the total number was 12 million, as you said, um, or actually north of 12 million. Uh, and it was really um 
you know, obviously the numbers were going to go up, but it was really a stabilizer. You know, a lot of us who were have been policy experts in this area, you know, we kept telling ourselves like, uh, well, if something happens, if the market shifts again, you know, we were thinking of another great recession, then this the ACA is a safety net program that will work to help keep people covered that lose their coverage through an employer. And it wasn't a great recession, but that's exactly what happened with the pandemic is that a lot of coverage, both through the individual marketplaces and the ACA subsidies that you can get there, and also through Medicaid expansion in the states, which is part of the ACA as well, has done a, a good job of keeping people covered um, during this you know, extremely uh, tumultuous time. Um, so yeah, it's a, a lot going on. I think where I came into this, you mentioned that I've been sort of a part of this. So I've been an ACA expert for, you know, 10 years. Um, oh, well, I guess 11 or 12 years. And, um, and uh, but I had never up until about 2017, I'd never had ACA coverage because I always worked for a large employer that provided coverage for me. Uh, <clears throat> when I became an independent consultant, I went out and I said, okay, now it's my chance to get ACA coverage. And so I got it and, you know, it was all right. It wasn't, you know, sort of as rich as my employer coverage, but the, you know, the rates were, were decent, you know, they at least, you know, uh, was at least not getting, you know, um, having to mortgage my, get a second mortgage on my house to get my coverage. Um, with the American Rescue Plan Act, they actually extended um, the subsidy structure so that, uh, essentially, you sort of tapped out at 400% of income before um, the American Rescue Plan Act. So your your ability to get subsidized ACA coverage um, tapped you out at that income level. Um, but now any income level uh, can essentially get a subsidy based on their income. It's really confusing. I don't want to get into the details, but the, the real the, the point of it is that, you know, somebody who is of, you know, moderate to high income um, could get coverage at a, you know, relatively low rate. My example, which I wrote about on LinkedIn, and then it got covered uh, in, the, in the Wall Street Journal, sort of got picked up in the Wall Street Journal, is that when I went back to being a private consultant this year, um, my coverage because of the AR, the ARPA uh, went from, about $300 to about $55 per month. So, um, so that was pretty incredible. I think it'll go up as my income goes up, but it still won't be, you know, $1,500, $2,500, like, you know, it might be under, you know, without the, you know, ARPA. So um, lots of activity in this space. And as you said, you know, it's, uh, it's kind of tough to get information. So it's good to sort of talk to everybody <laughs> about, about this kind of thing. A lot of moving parts, Shan. I think you've done a great job of laying out, uh, you know, the challenges that have, that have been going on. And what I find fascinating is that you said that uh, with the pandemic, you're seeing some further shifts because of the changes in how people are employed. Could you talk a little bit more about the changes you're seeing there? Yeah, sure. There are a number there. So, you know, for, for a long time, I think that there, you know, again, I'm I'm sort of a strategist by trade. So, you know, that means that I kind of get my crystal ball out, you know, every now and then. And, um, and I think that uh, what a lot of us talked about was, uh, okay, is the uh, ACA going to displace employer-based coverage? And there was reason to believe that it would. And in fact, um, you know, in our business, you know, the sort of uh, techno benefits technology business uh, that I came from, 
there was a report put out by McKinsey in 2011 that said that up to a third of employees would actually drop coverage to employers because it would be cheaper to that for them to send them to the exchange. Now, it was a really rational piece, um, but a lot of irrationality is sort of has sort of built up and calcified in the employer based benefits, you know, uh, profession over the past almost uh, really close to a century now. Um, and so it didn't, it didn't come to pass. The economy picked up and benefits became a really important sort of bargaining chip for recruitment and retention. Um, and so we thought, well, maybe the ACA will sort of pick up, you know, if something happens, if there's another downturn and, uh, you know, it's it's unfortunate that we got the downturn that we did with the pandemic, but you're really starting to see some of the these you know this calcification really kind of loose break up and loosen um, where employers are looking at this and thinking. Um, well, maybe things are better. You know, there were 12 million people enrolled over the past year. Plans are better. I mean, I'm I'm proof that you know there are actually plans that can support a family. Um, people are paying very little, uh, you know, on the public exchanges. That's one thing that you that is surprising to me that doesn't get covered a lot. When you see, uh, you know, outlets talk about the rate increases and that, you know, this plan is going to cost twenty five hundred dollars for this year or fifteen hundred dollars. Uh, what they don't tell you is that ninety percent of people. Uh, because of their subsidy eligibility are not paying any more than $50 per month for those plans, you know? So there's a deeper debate about, well, who's actually paying for it? So it's got to be paid at some point. But, you know, the bottom line is that the individual market is stabilizing to a point uh, that uh, employers can now kind of look at it and say, um, well, maybe this is better. An example that I'll give you, a quick example I'll give you is that in the state of Colorado, um, they recently, um, their, their rates for 2022 were just announced. Um, and the um, individual rate increase for the year was 1.5, 1.4%, something like that. The group rate, um, small group rate uh, increase was 4.5%. So there you have a state where um, now don't know what the sort of median cost of a plan is, but the rate increases are slowing in the um, individual market more than they are in the group market. So if you're a group um, and you're, you know, paying all this money to ensure your employees and then and you have probably a handful of employees who are like, well, wait a minute, this is, there's this other thing out there and, you know, I can actually do a lot better than, you know, what you're doing, especially families, um, then, why not why not do it and that's probably going to be key to shifting this idea that employers have to be a component of the US healthcare system um you know that has lived for like i said almost a century um you to see that happen then shan is that what you're saying you're starting to see some calcifications breaking down yeah, I think so. You know, and two quick examples. So there was something that was uh, enacted under the um, the uh, Trump administration called an ICRA, um, an individual. Uh, let me make sure I get this right. Um, I always mix up the uh, yeah individual coverage health reimbursement arrangement. Um, 
And basically what it says is that it's almost like you can kind of think of it as a 401k um, where your employer gives you money, um, a defined contribution uh, that you can then take and spend on uh, individual health insurance. Um, so you can, your employer gives you let's say 500 bucks a month or a thousand bucks a month, you can then go and shop at the, on the public marketplace, find a plan. Um, and if you, after figuring in the money that your employer gives you, if you still qualify for additional subsidies, you can really cut down on your costs. Um, and, uh, and this, you know, makes it a lot easier for employers because, you know, all of the administration around, you know, their, um, offering group coverage, it simply becomes, you know, kind of deciding how much to give each employee. Um, and then another thing, and there are different things too. So, you know, you can kind of uh, carve out certain populations. You can't do it in a discriminatory way, but let's say you have kind of, um, you know, people who work in the home office and people who work outside of the home office, let's say remote workers, for example, you could say, oh, we're going to give an ICRA to remote workers, we're going to keep our uh, headquarters covered under, you know, our, our group coverage. Um, the other thing is um, that you have, um, you know, companies, well, really with COVID, um, companies are just like everybody else, are kind of, you know, figuring out what they need to do right now. Delta, you know, just a few days ago, Delta Airlines said that they were going to charge a $200 per month surcharge um, to employees who don't uh, want to get vaccinated. Um, this is, you know, really a sort of punitive thing. They can do this. They couldn't do this under the ACA, but since they're a self-insured group, uh, they can. And I don't know the actual mechanics of what they're doing. They obviously, I would hope that Delta has lawyers that have said, yeah, this is okay to do. Um, but, you know, the idea is that if, um, if even just a couple of people, or even just one Delta employee ends up in the, you know, the ICU uh, after having getting, gotten COVID and they didn't, um, you know, and they weren't vaccinated, then it's going to cost Delta, you know, thousands or perhaps even millions of dollars, you know, that's just one, you know, so, uh, and plus it kind of, you know, obviously, you know, there's this idea of, you know, what's the morality of getting vaccinated and so on. So, you know, the bottom line is that, you know, I think a lot of companies are going to look at this and say, what are our options? You know, um, do we still need to be offering health insurance? Does it still make sense for us to offer health insurance? And especially international companies who don't have to deal with this um, in other countries, you know, that have universal health care. I think they, they're going to think long and hard. And you might have some lobbying efforts that start shifting to a universal plan. You know, maybe the 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 irony of, you know, Bernie Sanders, you know, um, touting, uh, you know, universal health care is that corporations are going to become the biggest proponents of it at some point. Now, that's my crystal ball. Don't know if that's going to happen, but who knows? It's funny you said that because I was actually wondering as you were talking if this could be a good hybrid to, you know, the two worlds, because some people are so firmly in the camp of, no, we absolutely need employer coverage and here are all these reasons. Mm -hmm. And yet there are other people that say, no, we need to have the universal health care. This is crazy. And yeah. but it seems like the ACA really could walk that line pretty nicely. You know, it allows people the options. They feel like they're able to still have choice 
but it's also giving everybody hopefully an equitable chance. Does that seem like an accurate assessment? Definitely. I think it all comes down to uh, risk. You know, somebody told me this years ago and I've, it's sort of stuck in my mind. Um, what you're seeing now, 12 million people on ACA coverage, you know, 2 million people um, coming in, you know, off, you know, uh, during the off seat or in a special enrollment period, all those people help level out the risk. So it's not just that you have the people who can't get coverage anywhere else who are coming into the marketplace. You're getting people who maybe are, you know, fit as a fiddle that just got laid off because they were in the service industry, you know? Um, so if you have a uh, risk positive or, or a good risk profile where insurers can make money um, and, uh, and, P and, and then, and they want to join, um, the marketplace because they don't want to leave any markets untouched, uh, or any profitable markets untouched, then that makes it really appealing. Once it becomes appealing, I guarantee you that, you know, the first employer who walks into a company and says, Hey, uh, you know, my friend just got coverage for 40 bucks, you know, and I'm a family of four and I have to pay $1,500 for my insurance because you only cover me and I have to pay hundred percent for my dependents. You know, the, the employer is going to be like, well, what the hell heck are we doing here? You know? Um, so, uh, so yeah, I think it is, it really levels it off. The other big thing is that you know, I think that we're, we've kind of, you know, knock on wood or whatever this desk is, um, <laughs> you, you don't know if um, the, the ACA, there was also always this uncertainty that the ACA was going to be, um, you know, uh, repealed or somehow just kind of hobbled. Um, that seems to have passed now, you know, um, and who knows, it may change, but uh, the conversation really seems to have shifted. Um, and so I think that people, you know, um, Washington, uh, Capitol Hill is more inclined to do things that are and pass bills that, you know, potentially could get bipartisan support, or at least they could get something through that could kind of shift the, you know, shift things. I mean, the ARPA is a perfect example. That was the first thing in, you know, years that was sort of uh, improving upon what a lot of us thought was, uh, you know, a, um, a downside or a problem with the ACA by offering anybody, you know, uh, incentives or uh, subsidies. So, so yeah, I think, um, who knows what's going to happen? Nothing ever seems to move too quickly with health insurance. But man, if there was ever a, a moment that things should move more quickly, I think we're living in it. And the fact that we've uh, survived this long, maybe I think as I'm listening to you, Shan, it feels like uh, we don't really know where it's going. But the longer it survives, the longer it survives and the longer it becomes ingrained and then, you know, becomes part of the system and part of the expectations hopefully, yeah. and, you know, helps with the, with some of the politics. Is that how you're thinking about it as well? Yeah, it, it's tough to, so when I, you know, 10 years ago, I studied political science. And so, you know, I kind of get the, the slowness of the, you know, the machine, um, you know, but I also, when I got out of school, I was, you know, I kind of very quickly got into technology and everything was moving really fast. Um, and so, uh, 
I, I, I got into when I first started looking at the ACA, I tended to think, you know, um, I tend to decide with the most optimistic viewpoints on it, you know, and think this is really going to shift things. And that's great. Um, I underestimated the sort of um, embedded um, stakeholders, you know, so to speak. Um, and they will continue to slow it down. But even there, you know, I've seen brokers who um, were absolutely and may still sort of be kind of politically opposed to the Affordable Care Act, who are absolutely talking about ICRA. And the ICRA was a, you know, it was a Trump um, Republican, uh, you know, um, uh, policy or regulation. Um, and, and so, and you've actually seen some people on the left who are like, ICRAs are bad, but you know, I mean, maybe they're not. I hope, I always hope that people will be rational, but, you know, barring rationality, I hope that the people who uh, want it to happen won't stop it from happening just because of the people who are helping. <laughs> I was just thinking the safety net that you were describing, this is the reason why you need it, because there's just tension all around. And there's unfortunately in that uh, the system, the people can suffer, and that's why you have something like the ACA. And so maybe it's holding just because uh, there's just enough uh, dynamic opposing forces. Um, so, you know, taking it from the political, maybe to a little bit more philosophical. But one question I did have, which I, I guess I've never, I've never really quite figured out, is where are the physicians in all of this? You know, sometimes uh, on the physician side, you hear uh, there are people that don't want to take uh, Medicaid patients or Medicare patients because they don't pay well enough and they'd much rather have commercial. Uh, where do the physicians actually stand on patients that are coming to them through the marketplace? Is that a factor at all? Well, first off, that's a very good question. And I would, I would uh, really love for you to answer that as a, you know, uh, as a, as a, a, a health professional, um, because I've wondered the same thing, but uh, from, from a sort of, you know, uh, dollars and cents perspective, um, the people who have ACA coverage, um, that is essentially, um, it's, it's real insurance. Um, you know, it's just subsidized. The, the premium is subsidized and some of the costs are sub subsidized. Um, so, uh, I don't think that there should be, um, uh, objection, uh, to that. It's not, um, you know, it's not Medicare where, um, you know, there's sort of benchmark pricing and, you know, that kind of stuff. Um, you know, that's obviously a very, uh, important issue, but yeah, it's just regular insurance. So, you know, I go, I go to the same doctor that I've had for a decade. My kids go to the same doctor that they've had since they were born. Um, it's all essentially the same flipping from the physician perspective back to the patient. So final question for me, when people are going to the exchange, you know, maybe it's their first time and they might have this perception of, oh my gosh, it's going to be lesser coverage or it's going to be whatever. What would you tell them? Because you've experienced this directly yourself and you said that it actually has been better. So aside from the benefit of getting a lower price on the premium itself, what about the coverage? What can they expect to experience? Yeah, so uh, what you're going to experience probably first is um, you're, you're going to be really shocked by the uh, deductibles. Um, they're really high, um, and and that's that's one of the downsides of it. Uh, What's high? One, what are we talking? Uh, where are we starting? Ten to twenty thousand dollars. 
Um, but here's lot. the thing. But here's the thing. Um, and I did this math. You know, I'll, I'll send you this link if anybody wants to read it because I did all the math when when I uh, did it. Um, unlike a high deductible health plan, um, these are plans with high deductibles, but they also um, allow for because of the rules of the ACA, they allow for copays. Um, they have other things that are sort of pre-deductible coverage. You get, uh, you know, a, a well visit, your sort of annual well visit is covered. A lot of other things, you know, if you have a baby, um, there are a lot of, you know, there's a lot of additional coverage. All of the, they're called, um, um, what are they called? Essential health benefits, EHB. Um, and there's a list of about 10 of them that have to be provided, you know, before the deductible is met. Um, so, uh, so what you want to do is you want to get your pencil and paper out or your spreadsheet or, you know, however you choose to do it and kind of add things up for me. Um, I've got more data because I've got a, you know, I've got a big family. I've got two kids. I've got a niece and a nephew who are on my coverage. Um, okay, this, uh, you know, this copay alone is going to save me probably about $5,000, you know, over my high deductible health plan that I had at my last company, you know, that's a little high, I think it was more like $2,500. But um, so that, that's one thing, the deductible is going to be huge, and you're not going to be happy about that, because we've been programmed to, to say, as soon as you see a high deductible, it's, it's crap, you know, um, but you have to look at the other details, you know, um, you, uh, the other thing is your coverage, you absolutely, and luckily the, um, you know, uh, healthcare.gov and great sites like, you know, uh, well and health sure, but there are, you know, third-party sites that are doing this as well. Um, they provide you with, uh, decision support tools as they're called. Um, so they will tell you, you know, what your eligibility is up front. Um, you'll have to prove it down the line, but they will tell you what your eligibility for subsidies is up front. And you want to shop with that. Don't, don't get sticker shock. You know, if you, something says $2,000, you need to look at what your subsidy is. Uh, the, the third, and uh, I mean, there are tons, but the final thing that I'll mention is, um, oh, the other thing about the decision support tools is that um, you can, in most cases, type in your doctor's name and your prescriptions and see if they're covered and so on. So you can shop around. Um, the third and final thing is um, that you just want to kind of uh, take a look at, try to take a look at apples to apples as much as you can. Um, you know, uh, you just like, if you had old coverage, you may have sort of thought that it was, you know, good, but there's this thing that we talked about a lot in um, kind of uh, user experience design called um, uh, status quo bias, um, where we automatically think that something is good just because we've already had it. Um, so you have to kind of be open-minded and say, was it really good? And is this really bad? Or do I just need to go for it? You know, um, and I think in some cases you just need to go for it. <laughs> so, so I'm violating the rules because, uh, Shan, because Stephanie already said final question and, you know, I'm trying to sneak in with another one. No worries. Uh, but, you know, for me, it's an eye-opening conversation because it's not my space at all. So I'm learning a lot. Uh, and on the, on the point you were just making, that's why Fia felt uh, compelled to maybe ask on behalf of the audience who might be listening is, um, 
deductible feels like a lot, you know, it's a, it's a gasp of of air for most people, but then you said, sit down, sharpen your pencils, do the math, figure it out. Uh, There's a lot of essential health benefits that are covered anyway. Uh, At the end of the day, when you went through this process, you did the math and you figured it out. When you actually signed up for the plan, did you wind up changing your health behavior as a result of Uh, the difference in coverage? Did you feel that there were things that you were no longer getting access to or, or differing because, you know, because of the deductibles? Um, Or ultimately, you know, did you do the analysis well enough to know that I know exactly how I'm going to consume this? And and that's how it played out. Probably, yes. Um, We, you know, we, we definitely sort of said to people, be careful. And, uh, you know, full disclosure, we had a situation where, you know, we had um, a semi-emergency um, and there was some, you know, some choices that were made that I was kind of looking at and saying, oh, can't do that. And, you know, it ended up costing us a little more than it should have. Um, so, yeah, uh, I think that, um, you know, again, I, I don't like I, I think that far too often um we want to uh, we want to be regular marketers and spark joy with decisions and so on. And I try to remind people that getting health insurance is uh, it's not you know buying a car or uh, you know a, um, a, a, a what you, anything a computer anything like that where you are going to get this certain kind of endorphins going and, and so on. Getting health insurance is you're doing your taxes. You know it's a necessary thing. Um, and, uh, and you do have to think about your behavior, you know, um, and you do need to think about your health, you know, and we should all be thinking about our health anyway. Um, you do need to think about, you know, in this current climate about being vaccinated or not being vaccinated. You know, there are so many decisions that you do have to, you know, uh, look into. Um, but the bottom line is that uh, there is never going to be a situation uh, like, um, you can have employer-based coverage and, you know, uh, still have, you know, massive medical bills. Um, so you gotta, I mean, you basically just have to, like I said, you, you kind of have to go for it. And uh, on the flip side, you know, I say it shouldn't spark joy, but I know, uh, from, you know, people that are in this business that, you know, every day, they're enrolling people who have not had health insurance or who have just kind of, you know, come up the scale from Medicaid to buying their own own insurance and, and they feel so empowered, you know? So I think that, you know, uh, I guess my parting shot would be um, this, these are very personal decisions, uh, but uh, it's for the greater good, you know, Um, your, uh, your having insurance has an effect, or not having insurance has an effect on everybody, um, and uh, and so I think that's one thing that's super interesting to me about the individual market in particular, but insurance in general is that we have this huge, you know, uh, system, uh, you know, healthcare system in the United States. Uh, it could be the most complex public-private hybrid system the world has ever seen. Um, and we're, we all need to do what we can to be, you know, good stewards of it, you know. 
I love that. I could sit here and talk to you until, you know, another three hours, but I'm sure you have to move on with your day as we do. And so we're going to end this, but oh my gosh, this was so fascinating. I really, really, really appreciate all your insights. And I think you've provided so much information to our viewers that I'm sure they are not familiar with. And now they're going to have a lot of researching or you're going to be getting a lot of email. So thank you for being here. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Stephanie and Apoor. I, I loved it. And uh, I could talk all day too. Maybe we'll have to do it again sometime. <laughs> Absolutely. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Thank you all Take for care. watching. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.